0: I'm James.
1: And I'm Brian.
0: And this is Spamming Zero.
2: Rick, welcome to the show. Good to be here, James. Brian, look forward to it, ma'am. Yeah, I'm This excited.
0: topic. Oh my gosh, does it give me heartburn? Like it makes me want to reach through the screen and really go at people sometimes because this is such a painful thing. And everybody seems to have this pain of the buying software. Mm-hmm. Now it's just not an easy thing. Right, And we push people down a path that isn't necessary. Let's unpack this, I, this business idea of buying software because I do think that there are fundamental roadblocks or what I would call friction in the current software, yep. e- especially in the B2B buying software. Right. What do you think is you know, in your mind, what's the most common mistake that you think businesses are making right
2: now? Yeah, I, I think if you look at it from a buying standpoint, if I were actually buying the software today, uh, I go back to the analogy of my dad. Let's take it back to kids again, right? My dad was an, an avid sports person and he would reinforce, I think he did this so that my mom wouldn't complain how much money we were spending. But his point was, if you buy the best equipment you can buy, this is what it's going to save you in a month. Because if you buy crap today, you're gonna to waste your time for 30 days. You're gonna sell it for 20 cents on the dollar. And then you're gonna go buy the new stuff in a panic and probably not gonna buy it on deal. So his point was when a season came up, soccer shoes, catcher's mitt, pick a thing. Let's in advance buy the best we can buy and let's go astri- you know, strive to get there. Now in, in business software, the exact same thing happens. You know, we made this sophomore mistake a year ago, we bought software A because it was a little bit cheaper, thought it would be easier to use. And what do you think happened in six months? Not happy. We outgrew it. We've wasted six months of onboarding. It became so sticky. All of our data is in there. We should have listened to my dad, James. We should have bought the best software we can aspire to. And again, I'm not saying everyone has to have you know, the, the $500 cleats, but I should not have bought the $15 pair. I should have gone into that 100 150 I should have bought the best I could. And I see that all the time with software, common mistake people make. Because you're trying to save a dime, but you lose a dollar long term. And we all know the number one issue that everyone has is that when you lose time, you can't get it back. It's not a dollar issue. But that time we spent investing, learning, being, being educated on the software is all throwaway right now. And we know that.
1: It's so interesting to think about. Right, like the cons- I feel like the term that people typically use for this in the software world is like best of breed it's interesting to to like break that down and say okay what are actually the things that contribute to a product being best of breed right because you can go and right you look at take any category that's out there take CRM right biggest b2B software category right. there are like I, I don't know hundreds thousands of CRM products on the market the fundamental like basic functionality of them is is all the same, right? They all have the same core features. So what are the things that actually makes Salesforce 10 or a hundred times better than that cheap off the shelf thing? And sometimes it it's obvious, but sometimes it's also like very non-obvious what is making best of breed, truly best of breed. So let's, let's look at, are, so are you guys Mac Dolphins. guys,
2: Apple guys, or are you Lenovo or something? What are you? I'm a Mac guy. People well. in the, tech industry would argue my son especially who would be an alienware guy he's like the macs are terrible they can't even run the most you know the high-end part of excel you know processing and i would argue that some of those computers are really best in breed you know what mac does for me friction baby nothing i'm not downloading drivers it's coming in now i lose things i've got you know, analyst over here that cannot use certain features in Excel. I get that. And I might lose a couple other pieces of software because it just doesn't work well on a Mac. But I'm willing to lose some features because I would argue the Mac in the big scheme of things is a solid A to A minus based on what you're trying to do. And the A plus also has other detriments, which takes them down to an A minus. So the perfect computer is based on who you are, but you've got both camps on Macs versus PCs and both are right, but we chose the route of clean reliability, I'm not worried about the viruses, all the things that we love about it, but I've got three or four people in the organization that hate their Mac, but that's okay. And so that's how we began to look at technology along those lines. But you bring up a
0: great point here, and that's the convenience and frictionless experience that exists with software. And we haven't even dived into the buying process, right, right. <laughs> which is a whole can of worms that I can't wait to unpack, but the, the usability of software. One thing that I, I want to like, just challenge every brand out there that might be listening to this is like, stop making a promise that you can't keep. I think that it starts there. The fundamentals of mm-hmm. you offering a service or a product to any business that's going to be operating it, meaning they can have an opportunity cost as well for operating your software, right. meaning it can have a negative impact by implementing your software and you make a promise that you can't keep,
2: whew. It's bad. It's bad, That's man. That's it's real local. bad. Part of it, when we looked at the, you know, that promises made, promises kept, you know, an analogy that's in there, I understand the friction aspect of things and I, and I get that experience people are having, but I'm kind of a stair-step guy. And what I find with software is that um, if you've ever been to a stadium that have the two small steps on a long one, two small steps on a long one, sit in that stadium and watch people fall. It's all day long because steps are universally eight inches, 10, eight and 10 or nine, 11, nine, 11. So you can run up and down steps without looking at the stairs. You can hold two beverages and three, you know, three things of popcorn and you never look at the steps unless that step is one inch off or you've got a really long step or a platform. I think software design needs to be the same way. It's all about the rigors of stairs and to make things so intuitive that it works. It doesn't have to be the best, the most complicated, or the most influential thing you've ever seen. And that's why I think Apple gets it right. The iPhone gets it right, because it's a stair step. It's such a simple. And when I go from app to app, or I go from program to program, they've all followed these stair steps. What's difficult is someone says, no, 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 no. James, Brian, I know better. I'm going to completely change the way you operate software. And people open up, they're like, oh, because I've been trained. So if you're a developer out there, at some point in time, you got to realize there are norms that are expected. And those stair steps are actually to be used to your advantage, as opposed to I'm going to completely blow up the way people do things because I'm smarter than Apple and Amazon, all those guys and I'm gonna create my own thing. And that's really,
1: really heavy lifting. It's almost like, right? I feel like the the common phrase for it would be like best practices, right? Like follow the best practices that exist in, right? If you're building a web app and you're designing the experience, like follow the best practices that exist in the industry. And it's interesting how taking this effort and like going against the best practices and when done well, that can be like an amazingly powerful thing, right? When apple started creating apple products that was different right like different was their word their motto their mo and we even talk on the show a lot about the idea of like being unconventional and like going against the grain and doing something different and like standing out so there's almost like this balance that needs to be struck there and i always love this analogy of like right everybody grows up when you're learning in school, you're learning how to like read and write, and you're taught the very like proper utilization of the English language, like grammar and spelling. And so you see like amateur writers are like not good, they're misspelling, not using grammar well, it's all a mess. And then you get to like, medium to expert level understanding and skill. And like, there's this homogeny and like everybody gets it and they know the rules and they're following the rules. And then when you get into that, like upper, upper echelon of elite writers, they are breaking the rules, but they are doing it with incredible, like precision and deliberateness where they're not just going rogue to go rogue. They are following the best practices and then being deliberate about, hey, I'm gonna do something different here to be unique yeah, so and create a unique
2: of, experience. Um, there's nothing to do under the sun. So for example, Apple says there's a yellow, orange, green dot on the left. You can click one of those to minimize or X out. And then Microsoft says there's the same thing in the upper right-hand side, but there's gonna be something like that. Oh, no, no. In our world, you're gonna click three things and do this. Well, that's, that's a universal no, it's a hard no, right? Well, hey, I think you should do five steps to do this because the steps are great. You know what the universal is? Fewer steps are better. So these universal truths, right, these stair steps of truths, those are the piece. There's nothing new under the sun. The Universal truths are, are there in front of us. And we would argue, and we did this when we were going down the path of developing Plum. We didn't want to create a totally different experience that would cause someone to say, yeah, but this is the way I shop today. Why are you guys different? And we're like, we're not going to overthink it. Now, we could. some people could say there's not an original bone in your body, Rick. You've stolen shamelessly. But I would argue these are universal truths of how we shop. These are universal truths on how we do UI, UX. And there are very few things that require such amazing originality that we're going to do something different. I want to unpack a little bit of this whole idea of uh, online. Okay. True story.
0: I've told this story on the podcast already. I'm going to tell it again. I went through a process starting here at Red Route, I knew exactly which software I wanted. I knew exactly what it could do, I knew its value, I had a budget, I was a decision-maker, I did not need a call. I even knew what I could get from a pricing perspective, because I've used it before. So there's this whole idea, right, of I still had to go down the same journey as somebody who doesn't have decision, doesn't have budget, also has never used the software before. I had to go down that same journey. Four software companies out there that are massive. Few of them are even category creators. And I, I won't do business with them because of this reason, right? They force you down a path. And this is, I think, a fundamental thing that is broken in software buying. It's this idea of like, everyone has to go down the same path. Everyone has to, you have to get your bank criteria figured out on the sales side. I get why those things exist. And I know that a lot of these things cannot be scaled in a measure that makes sense for the entire organization to tackle, but to not have a pathway of almost no friction at all. Like there is no reason why I couldn't have gone to the website, filled out a quick form, told them in the notes that said, Hey, I've used this software. I'm ready to go. And AE picks it up. There's no reason why they then can't send me over a contract. Like, it doesn't need to go down, okay, we got to have a call, got to understand your needs. And I had this, like, big rant about it on social media. And all these people were like, yeah, 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 right? And then there were some people out there were like, well, yeah, but don't we need to understand your needs? Don't we need to understand, like, why you're using the software? No, you don't. Because I know why I'm using the software.
2: Well, you I already have used your product. But, James, they have to understand that when they're designing the software. If you've designed the software for my role, you already know why I want to use it, right? I mean, because you're telling me you're best in class. So there's a reason to ask the question. Who cares whether it's widget A or widget B? You you don't care if I'm in sports or CPG. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you need a CRM system to do X. You already know my why. So, so that was kind of the premise of us driving plum and how we, went down this path is that, I call it the Amazon effect or the Tesla effect. I'm on Amazon today and you know, you guys have probably purchased, you know, a $1,000 TV, $2,000 TV. You didn't click on the TV and say, I wanna to talk to someone. That a salesperson calls you from Amazon and said, hey, I'm the local Sony guy. Let me tell you why Sony's best. And then I click on something and say, hey, I'm the new LG guy. And you talked to five sales reps on Amazon. I mean, you would be appalled that would happen. Well, you can now buy a Tesla. Hey, why don't you talk to the Tesla guy and let me tell you why you should buy Tesla. How are you going to use the Tesla? Are you going to use it for home? Are you committing get I me? Mean, really? So you'll spend 70, 80 grand on a Tesla with two or three clicks. The entire process will happen with DocuSign. You wire transfer money and some company shows up with keys a week later and they like drop it in your hand. Vroom has figured that out. But yeah, there's industries, like in my case, the business service industry that acts like we're uh, a real estate agent or a car dealership. Oh, you really can't buy a house until you talk to the realtor who then talks to the office manager, who then talks to the title company, who then talks to the bank. And now we're starting to see the B2C world come around saying, I think I can buy a house after watching the video and click on Google Maps and do the street view and I can see the neighborhood. I can then look at all the data associated with the neighborhood around crime and what the schools are. Yeah, but you don't understand, James. In order for you to buy software, you need to talk to the pre-sale guy who talks to the AE, who talks to the salesperson, who then talks to the client success person because you can't spend $10,000 without having these five meetings over two months. That's asinine in today's world. And that was really the epiphany we had when we started building this B2B software for Plum so that you could buy retail services with just a click click by the time you go to the cart and click out you've already got data ratings and reviews you know auditing inside of store merchandising it's already complete and you don't have to talk to anyone as much as I like to talk to James and Brian you don't need to talk to me don't you could self select and self buy so that B2C experience is coming into the software world and, and we we got to get ahead of it or because whoever figures it out first is this going to dominate i'm telling you going to dominate
1: you can almost say that like bad experiences create very low expectations, right? So James just gave us this example of, of buying software and he walked through what a ideal state would look like. And the ideal state involved filling out a form, waiting for a account executive on the other side to send a contract that needed to come back the other way to sign, right? That is even like, three levels down the rung of like what ideal frictionless should be from like going to Amazon and just like clicking the item you want and checking out, right? Like you're describing an experience that you wish existed and it is still like a couple rungs from like what good should actually look like. And it all ties back together for me to this idea of people when they are buying something with their brain, there are three considerations that come into it. One is the perceived value. The second is the level of effort that is required. And then the third thing is the certainty with which I will achieve that end state. And there's this classic thing of everybody over-indexes on the first pillar, even though all three of them factor in like pretty equally into the decision-making process. So one of the things that we've noticed in our business is... Automation is right, kind of like the core value driver, the, the benefit, the value that we're selling. And we've noticed that automation is something that people understand and it generates interest and people will start evaluating us. People will become interested in what we're selling based on the benefits that they can receive from the automation. But as we look at the journey that customers follow and kind of how these processes play out, While automation is getting people to the table, the low level of effort actually plays a bigger role in driving quick and successful outcomes and like signups and users of the product, even more than the actual value that they're getting on the other side of the automation. They go hand in hand and I saw this great tweet and it was this guy basically saying, there are so many software companies out there that are pitching themselves on the benefit of I can deliver the same value but it's 10 times easier to use. And what he said was if you're going to go and you're going to say that your unique advantage is that you are 10 times easier to use, then you should be 10 times easier to buy. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's crazy. almost never is that. We run
2: into case. the same thing in our business yeah, all the time so, that, uh, and we hear the smart our customers saying, "Rick, by the time I use agency A, it's sometimes 2 to 3 weeks before I can even schedule an appointment." And Rick, you guys have already executed and delivered the data, delivered the ratings and reviews. We're finished in two or three days and there's no phone calls. So that goes back to that earlier conversation we're having about time. Time is so valuable. And if software's written correctly and the buying experience is really laid out in a frictionless way, that time just gets compressed. And it doesn't take me three one hour calls, three 30 minute calls, it might take me one 10 minute call, but it's but it's it's everything I need and I can sign and pay someone. But let me give you a little baby tangent to this conversation. I saw this happened to me yesterday. I'm an avid cyclist and I'm in the market for a new Garmin cycle computer. But as I compared models, they had a button that said, Do you want to only see where there's differences and how much different how, how the differences are? I said, Yes. And I went from this page this deep to really close. And it only showed by category where was different and why it was different. That shopping experience for me, because I was going to have to read all of these details, they just took it in. Now, Garmin only showed me their products, but now imagine that buying experience because we all have to do it. We have to go online. We have to find some third party, you know, is it G2, pay a fortune to them so that they'll tell you how things are different. But imagine a world where I can come in and say, I want Best in Breed, I've got these three, and then, not generically, but a really smart person like Brian or James says, let me tell you how these are different and why they're different, man, that's a game changer because we all know they don't want to do that because you have to keep it confusing. But that was a really cool experience for me using Garmin. There was an argument I actually got into during this
0: post, and somebody was arguing with me about How they need this data that they collect during the process of having, just like you mentioned, Rick, like the three or four calls to make their product better and change their GTM. Now, here's what I'll tell you. First of all, that's bullshit. There is no way you're using that data for the purpose of what you're saying you're having those calls for. I know that for a fact because most sales data is very rarely put into a CRM. How do I know that? I made a living off of literally consolidating thousands of CRM systems into one. Yeah.
2: And your data was very rarely put into a CRM because you hated a CRM. Well, me tell you, I'm a, I'm giving props to the sales guys. Let me tell you how we use our sales team here. So that everyone doesn't get mad at me who listens to this. Like Rick, you left us out to dry. James said this, you didn't defend us. Uh, where we've engaged <laughs> our sales team, because again, when I have my funnel coming in, it could be an ad. It could be through, again, an ad on Facebook, or it could be engaging. It could be a form they've seen. It might be a podcast. What we're using them, and I, I can't remember who you coined this term, but it's that, that concept of a gray or a black funnel that you get into the funnel. Everything's black at the bottom. Oh, well, obviously, you got this lead because it came in through Google AdWords because they typed in field agent. So what we use our sales team to say is, that, hey, how did you first hear, if you can recall? They're like, oh, yeah, I heard him on a podcast. Without that, I wouldn't have the data that I need to have because that podcast could have been two months ago. So I would, would argue that the sales team for us, it's not 100%, let's say on 40, 50%, they give me a flavor that I wouldn't have. And to your point, it's not even on the CRM, we, this is on Slack. Hey, talk to so-and-so, they heard about this. Talk to someone, heard about this. They are slacking us, then our marketing team takes that information and says, okay, let's go push the ratchet up over here or change something over there, we're getting some good feedback. So I'm going to give them props where props are due. And I appreciate that. And by the way, I do think there's value there. Yeah, flavor, sure.
0: But I am saying the three-person or three-time meeting that you had to have before you bought the software is very similar experience that I had. And there is no way that the data that they gather in that 30-minute call is being leveraged to improve the product. Totally agree. And if it is, more power to you but I'm saying standardly across the majority of the software out there, I don't buy it. I agree.
1: Let's say that the salespeople are getting all of this data into the systems where they need to be such that that it can be aggregated and it can be leveraged at scale by other parts of the organization, right? That that would be great if that was the case. Couldn't 90% of this be achieved by just having like forms that the self-serve buyer can just go and fill out themselves? probably about seven, eight months ago, is that we were over-forming our process.
2: We started the exact same path. What we realized was is that, let's start eliminating gates. So we took this service and we wanted to productize at least a small drink or the most efficient piece of the service so that people could buy without even putting in a form. And then we came to the form piece. Our point was, let's not do a form that gets to a gate that gets to a phone call. Let's take that form process because with enough AI and kind of machine learning, I can take that form in near real time and get you to the solution you're looking for. I still don't need to get a phone call from the form. So we took that concept and made it kind of a machine learning. I said AI it's really more machine learning to get me to a point. And we're not there yet, but we're getting really close And where You go from 20 percent to 30 to 40. You get more percentage. It says, gosh. I like the way I'm answering these questions and it gets me to a result, I still didn't have to have a call. It's not that people don't like to fill out a form.
0: It's that they don't like to fill out a form to then get spammed. Yeah. And they also don't like to fill out a form when they're not actually getting real value. It's not the form, right? okay? Like, here's the thing, I would literally right now buy if I, could, if, if I had the budget. So if Brian said, James, here's $50,000, go buy this software that is very unique and we need it, okay? I would go to that company, and I, if I had the opportunity, would love to never talk to sales at all. Right. And if it was done through chat, fine. Yeah, like yeah, ask yeah. your questions. Ask your BANT criteria through chat. Ask your yeah. BANT criteria. Let me get on a phone call with uh, with a bot and just let like walk me through it. You don't need to be a salesperson and a, or a human on the other side. It can be a
2: bot. It can be automation, but get the out of the way. Yeah. That's the idea. If you guys, you know, is, is your if you had a podcast on just product-led growth. The concept behind of it is if you know your business better than the person that's buying it. So, Brian, you you know your software, you know your business better than anyone through content for those that are visual, okay, videos for someone that wants to watch it or audio, well, whatever it may be, If whatever the learning mechanism is for them, I should be able to know there's not 20 questions, there's probably five. And I should be able to answer the questions in the way that you want to learn so that I can actually make a decision or at a minimum say, I'm still not sure I'll take that phone call because I've made that decision as opposed to I'm making the phone call because you could be 10% of what I need to know. And that's the frustrating part because you already know the questions because you've already done the sales calls for a year. You could record every sales phone conversation It's well, it's this question, this question, this question. Oh, here's an exception. Why is it an exception? Oh, that vertical has a unique question. Great. Let's create a vertical page on our website that says, hey, if you're part of this vertical, you might have these two unique questions. But you know what? They don't have 10. And that's the part he was like, no, Rick, you don't understand. We need to have that engagement on the phone. And I said, that's just not correct. Because when I push on it, I get the same five questions. And I push on it again. And the vertical has two unique, not five And that's the part that we should be able to shame on us if we can't create an interesting UI UX that allows people to self-select, self-educate, and either make a purchase decision or say, I want to talk to a professional before I buy, because there are still some of us out there that still aren't ready to click. And that's okay, but you're never going to eliminate the sales function. That'll never go away. You still want to have that conversation, but I want to choose to have a conversation versus you stinking forcing me to have it.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's about it's about giving the optionality, not saying not saying we're forcing down one path and now we want to force down another path. The other thing that's interesting and and we've been talking about this a little bit with our own um, like sign up and and setup process here at RedRoute is increasingly like right. Yes, you can have like whatever three, four, five pages. People select their vertical. People kind of input their information. But you look at little things like. Google single sign on, right? SSO, where it's like, you don't need to go and put in your name and put in your email and put in everything. You can just click connect with Google and suddenly you just took that whole like five different fields in a form and you just turned it into a one button click. There's a lot of that which can be done by just like thinking about what you already know about the person as they're coming through the process based on the information that you have on them and even, right, like not only making it so that they can go through this process themselves, but then also like leaning into the frictionless aspect of it and pre-filling forms or having recommendations or all of these sorts of things to to remove the friction and make it so that it's not even necessarily a form as much as it's like a click. Do you want A or B? And like, we but, think but that that's this that is true. The conversation it true? Yeah, we had earlier,
2: Brian, is that um, there's nothing new of. under the sun. The stair steps <laughs> are there. And whether you like it or not, a Google sign-on or a Facebook sign-on, whatever it is, you know, or an Apple sign-on, having those three options have been thought of. People have figured it out. They're using, yeah, but see, we want to spend the next six months designing our sign-on process to make it unique and customized because I'm like, really? And that's where you said, I just created a flat step and it made someone stumble. So, oh, I don't know. Do I put my email in again? And they asked me this information. It just didn't feel right. I'm like, really? And so the B2C world has kind of figured that out. Again, we're, we're arguing that in the B2B world, they're laggards. It is just so painful to get to the point where you said just to have a Google login is really painful in B2B world because, oh, you don't understand the security. We're SOC 2 compliant. We have to have all these important things up front. I'm like, I think the Google button will be fine. And so... People your generation, you're going to force that change because you are not going to buy from someone that has a painful sign-in process and buying process. And I think we're not at the tipping point. We're close. Another five, 10 years, we'll never have this conversation. You used to make people sign in that way. You've got to be kidding me. And then you look at car dealerships. You're like, Ford just inferred. Maybe we don't need dealerships the way we have them. Are you going to have car I mean, Tesla's pushing it. People like RedRoute, you guys are going to push that envelope. People say, gosh, I guess I don't need that, that, that process anymore. Thank you so
0: much for coming to the show, Rick, and being a part of this. Will you do me a favor? Answer this one last question. We think it's pretty important that leaders in the world give a flavor of what's important that we should all be focused on. Throw the business stuff out and just tell us what you think the world needs a little more of right now
2: business success and especially business significance follows this, it follows the speed and the depth of relationships. I think we've made relationships transactional and I'm telling you, whether it's your kids, whether it's your family, it's your neighbors, it's your business associates, it's your next promotion, it's your next job, without relationships, you're gonna be a cog in the wheel and a commodity and it is not pretty to be a commodity. So relationships matter. Fantastic
1: answer. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Spamming Zero. If you have not rated the podcast, please do so. I mean, if you don't want to give us five stars, that's cool. We'll we'll earn your five-star rating. But give us a rating and we'll get in front of more people. And if you want to hear a topic that you have not heard yet, Brian or I would love to hear it. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. We'll be around and we want to hear from you.